In the Booth with Matt Park is brought to you by Hoffman Sausage Company. Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw! You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got holes on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. How about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. And hello again, everybody. Welcome to a new week. It is a Monday. Back at it. Football, basketball, crossover season. So if you're a fan of the Orange, lots going on. Never a dull moment. If you're uh, one who's at these games, like uh, Brian and myself, you're running around and uh, all good things. Good uh, good problems to have. It's a good kind of busy. And we've got uh, basketball to bring you again tomorrow night. The Orange and Carlton, the defending national champion, the several times over national champion of Canada, comes into the Dome tomorrow. And then uh, that'll be it for the preseason before Virginia is here Wednesday of next week. Brian, you had the call on the game on Saturday night with the Orange knocking off Damon. Football team lost uh, in the afternoon against uh, Florida State and heads into Boston College uh, this Saturday in the Dome with a noon start. And so that's the uh, overview as uh, we get things set on sort of a group therapy Monday. People, if you want to call and you want to vent, you want to chime in, you want to share your thoughts, your proposed solutions, your ideas, a lot of smart people out there, Brian, and they can call us at 315-437-7644. So we get all the solutions in one pile, and then we Why can not? start delving through them. Why, Why not? not? Yeah, was, we'll uh, you know, had basketball at the Dome there, and the, the the football video game was up, or the video, the, video, the game was up on the video board. No video game as of yet. We need that those pay-to-play rights coming out, name and likeness, then we can get that going again. But had the game up on the video board, so I uh, got to watch... Uh, some of the, or at least the second half, or part of the second half, while we we're getting ready for the game, listened a bit earlier while driving in. So tried to take it all in as much as possible on Saturday. Yeah, I think the difference, and I know people are down. Obviously, it's three straight losses. It's zero and four in conference play, and to me, the Florida State game sticks apart from Pittsburgh and NC State, which were basically the same game. Didn't play very well at all. Still had a chance to tie or win the game right to the very last play of the game. The Florida State ones sticks out in that they march down the field, uh, put it in the end zone, miss an extra point. <laughs> uh, so it's only 6 nothing. Then they get the next time they come right down the field, score again, 13 nothing. And from that point on, I thought this is not a game that uh, Syracuse is going to be able to win. And still now we're eight games into the season. There has not been a lead change in a Syracuse football game for the year. That is... More than anything is there were seven in the Camping World Bowl. <laughs> yeah, that more than anything is the stunning stat. Obviously, we know the bad stats, the sacks, and stuff like that is not going well. But the fact that literally has there not been a lead change? And think of last year, we had fourth quarter lead changes in multiple games, comebacks, and wild endings. And obviously, that makes it a lot of compelling watch. I mean, you think about the lacrosse team for years now. Oh, oh, it's too bad they're playing one goal games. Maybe for them. I'm like, yeah, one goal game every week. Let's go. This is fun. Saddle up and we're having a good time. So that it's been very weird that come the fourth quarter, now there have been NC State and Pitt. It was the hope they'd have a chance for a lead change or a tie game, but we we still haven't had one. It's very it's peculiar. I don't know if it's anything other than that, but it's a very strange thing this year. There there's no question. And I think the alarming part of it is you wanna think when you get down that you still got some ability, some firepower that 
a one or two possession deficit is not insurmountable. And in Saturday's game, it felt that way. That being said, I'm sticking by it here still. These are still toss-up games. I don't feel like you go into the Boston College game and feel like there's anything to fear. Syracuse has not played well, but you know BC's not the Patriots. This is a, a winnable football game. That idea of getting to, to six and getting to a bowl is still on the table. Now, you'd have to can you play well and sustain it enough to win three out of four? That's where the penalties alarm me. Uh, the, the penalty, there's too many. The variety of penalties is terrible. The personal fouls, all of that, it's got to go. But what it does, penalties keep you from sustaining anything. Yeah. You know, if your offense is based on tempo and rhythm and whatever, and then once in a while you got a, a first and 15, that's no bueno. You have a third and two and it gets set back to a third and seven. You can't deal with that. You know, you're not going to continue to convert those on a, on a regular basis. And this is nothing that the team or the, the coaches don't know. Um, but it, it's something that obviously has to be cleaned up. And if you're looking at the differences between last year's team and this year's team, it's not just the quarterback and it's not just the offensive line. Uh, those types of things are, are additions there that are creeping up. Well, I mean, look at last year, and it's been two years in a row. They, it's been a grad transfer attempting to start a right tackle, and obviously the story did not go well last week for Ryan Alexander. Leaves the program, whatever, and hopefully this is the start of great things for Matthew Bergeron. Well, last year he had a grad transfer at right tackle, and it just so happened it was uh, a former SEC starting player that's the son-in-law of the head coach. Now, that is... The greatness one way, and this year is the other side of the spectrum. And I'd say more often than not, it's going to fall somewhere in the middle. But how kooky is that in back-to-back years that that is the spot on the line? And last year, once Coda got up to speed, how good was he over the last 10 games or whatever of last season? And it just didn't work out this year. And you get the false start penalties and all that. And whoever it's on, it's been on all of them. It's not on one guy. It's not on just the line. But you get a fight the way the offense has been cooking this year you get one 5 yards false start penalty and it just grinds it to a halt where last year if you got the rare one and you get them it's the cost of doing business for doing tempo is you're going to get more than other teams you had an ability to overcome it and this year you don't and that's what what's disappointing and probably the most frustrating thing whether it's bad I don't know but it's frustrating to watch and it's frustrating to be a part of i mean the guys are not whole hummet about it. They're not happy it's happening. And I think that's what's disappointing for them, that it's not been fixed yet, but it's young guys. And who knows? Carlos Federello, Matthew Bergeron, what if they now start at tackle for the next three and a half years? If you want to look at the absolute right, right. positive one way this can go, well, my goodness, if they turn into the players the coaches think they've recruited, well, this is the growing pains. And you look back in this season and say, well, it paid off. Sure. And who knows if that's going to happen. And it might. Um, Coach Babers, and we're going to hear a lot of his comments uh, coming up after the break. That's where we'll uh, spend the good meat of the show today. But uh, one of his things was in explaining the penalties is, you just alluded to it, Brian, it, it is inherent in the pace and the tempo that you're trying to run if you're doing it with young people. They're going to misstep. They're going to line up in the wrong place. Now, for me, you have to then set aside. There's a few of these, uh, you know, after a kickoff, personal fouls and, and stuff like that. Yeah, I, put, that I file those just, differently. Yeah, absolutely. They're just not part of what anybody draws up, and there's been too many of them this year, and they need to be addressed and, and dealt with, and, and obviously that is a part of what's going on. So when we come back, we'll get into uh, Coach Baber's reaction. We'll set you up for the Carlton game, which is uh, tomorrow night. And this one will 
figure to be more competitive than the Saturday game against Damon. Damon's a good Division II school here, won better than 20 games uh, last year. In fact, 24 games, right? And uh, Carlton pretty much wins every game it plays. They've basically lost a couple times a year going back for two decades. But the main difference between the uh, Damon's a good team, and they're going to win a lot of games this year at the Division II level. I mean, their head coach, Mike McDonald, told us on Friday before the game that, like, yeah, we hope to make this a game. Realistically, we've been practicing for a week. Um, we played our first game the other day against Buffalo. We're coming out here. It's a great experience. Our whole team's from New York State. They've grown up Syracuse fans playing the Dome. We're going to play well, but realistically, we're, we're going to win the game now. And they said that coming in. Carlton is coming down here to attempt to win the basketball game. Mm-hmm. They're not coming down here to get ready for something. They're a good team, and they're trying to win. Now, Syracuse is a better team, sure. But Carlton's not in prep mode. They are here to play basketball. And for those of you that want to watch some legit hoops here this week, this is not an exhibition game. This is a basketball game tomorrow night. And if there was such a thing as a 6-5 and under league, you'd take Carlton. You'd feel really good about it. (laughs) You would uh, like their chances the way they line up. They don't have any size, and uh, that's the reason that Syracuse in the end uh, tomorrow night shouldn't have much difficulty. But uh, Carlton can play. They went uh, two out of three in an August series where they played uh, South Florida, Albany, and Valparaiso. They lost to Valpo in overtime, but they uh, could have been right there. They beat Wisconsin in the last couple of years. They beat Providence, uh, you know, that type of thing. So they know what they're doing. They're well-coached. It's a uh, well-run program and has been for a long time, and we'll uh, tell you more about that, if not today, tomorrow. So that is a taste of uh, what we have going on. Uh, The rest of the usual accoutrement throughout the week. We'll visit with Adam Terry on Thursday's show to uh, set up this Boston College game, which is certainly a must-win for the Orange BC in the Dome Saturday at noon. Dino Baber's show Thursday night. We'll be there with uh, Sean Edinger, the strength and conditioning coach, will be our special guest at Press Room Pub, etc. So we're off and running. Brought to you by the Hoffman Sausage Company, born in Germany, raised in Syracuse. Hoffman Taste Tells. We're back with the Dino Baber's press conference review in just a moment. This is In the Booth on ESPN Radio. In the Booth with Matt Park is brought to you by Hoffman Sausage Company. It is indeed as we welcome you back on a beautiful Monday. It really warmed up nicely today, mid-60s. Those of you on the uh, golf course and sneaking out there were jealous. Last uh, licks at that, it seems like, for uh, people to go out there and get an opportunity to uh, before putting the clubs away to enjoy some fresh air. The foliage is beautiful, Brian, as we... Uh, Noted today, driving up around Drumlins and big foliage season. It is. It's uh, right at the kind of the peak here, and we're uh, headed to a home football game this weekend. A uh, Saturday noon start, the Cuse and Boston College. So, pursuant to that, we wanted to share with you some of uh, Coach Baber's thoughts going into the game, really coming off of uh, Florida State as well. He had a couple of uh, interesting nuggets today in his uh, regular Monday press conference, including a play that has gotten everybody talking. This is the best-covered, most-blown-up trick play that we've ever seen that was successful for the offense. Yeah, I've never seen one quite <laughs> like it, and I could attempt to explain it, but I think Dino's got it pretty well figured. The guy had, was in the grass of somebody, and he, you know, this is not an excuse, I'm just he barely got the ball off to a quarterback who was actually being grabbed before that, and then the guy let him go. Then the ball came back to him. Then he had to go back after the quarterback. And then right when he was about to, I think he actually hit the quarterback, but right, the quarterback threw the ball back. 
and then the quarterback threw the ball back to a guy that was actually being covered. But now since there was two guys, he stopped covering the other guy to go cover the other guy, and then the ball went to the guy that he was actually covering the first time. So you could see it was a well-designed play. And uh, very easy to follow. So now I don't feel so bad for being flummoxed in the, uh, the radio call of that, that uh, there was some weird stuff going down now. I mean, I have never seen a trick play that was, I mean, it was blown up everywhere it went and then somehow gained, what, 40-some-odd yards. Yeah, well, then once you have a 6'4 receiver in Tamari and Terry right. and you put the ball up for grabs, he has a way of making things happen. Well, I'd say the goal is you got to get your playmakers in space. They, they created the space in about good, as unusual way uh, as you, good, could, uh, good way to look you could do. But once the ball got to him, things got opened up because everybody in the defense had tried to tackle about six other guys first. I mean... I guess that just kind of tells you how the day was going when that play hits against you. Like the last few weeks when the trick plays hit, they were executed perfectly. The orange defense bit on the initial fake and guys were wide open. This wasn't that. I'd say like they learned the lesson of that. I don't know what lesson you learned from this, but you learned <laughs> you learned the lesson from the first ones. So that's uh that's something. It is something and it's, you know, that part is maddening. And Syracuse has its own share of trick places, as Coach Babers said, and he'll be the first to tell you. I think he got asked, hey, anything creative, any new fo-? He goes, we got plenty of formations, which they do. They have lots of formations and plays. They're, they're not getting out-coached or out-creative uh, in that way, I don't believe. But maybe Syracuse should run that play. Well, three games in a row, there's been some sort of double-pass, field-switching uh, kind of play that uh, has gashed them, and uh, you know certainly NC State opened the flooding there with a touchdown thrown by the wide receiver back to a running back who had gotten loose. So something has uh, clearly been exposed uh, in that situation, but uh, that needs to be addressed as well. And I feel like there's a lot of reeling going on here. I think the coaches are, are trying to bring along some young, talented people in certain positions. They're getting exposed during the game based on uh, these trick plays based on penalties, et cetera. And, uh, and right now it's a hard, it's a lot to get in front of. Well, just think of what goes on the week of coaching and practice and get ready for the game. Okay, what, what, what is Florida State or what is Pitt run? Okay, this is the main stuff they run. And you work on legitimately the stuff they're <laughs> right. running 99% of the time. They do this, they do this. Okay, well, they do have the one trick play. I've got to watch out for that. Now it's multiple weeks now. Okay, we better pay a little more attention this week to the <laughs> trick plays. They got us the last couple of weeks. This week, and you've got finite practice time. Okay, we'll spend, uh, no, I'm just making it up, but who knows. We'll spend 10 minutes on the trick plays this week on defense instead of five. All right, we got it down. They're on the play. Oh, the guy's got it. Everyone's got, and then it just blows up in your face. Oh, shoot, now they're running Wildcat. Well, now now think about this. You're watching watching tape after the game. I don't even know how you respond to this as the coaches or the players. You're watching tape after the game. I, I assume that's when you just throw in the trash because, well, what do you learn from that? How to guard it better? Sure. What they're doing? Keys? Well, clearly you got that now. Okay, well, tackle somebody. That's not really anything that's worth time reviewing, but it's just got to – the coaches, the players, it's just one that – it's the way the season's going. It's got to drive them batty when they're going back and looking at this. I wish I could be a fly on the wall, though, watching that onside kick practice. I mean, beautiful kick. It was a great kick. And just people on the wrong side of the football. That was the issue. <laughs> They, they may have seen I don't know if they saw the football or not. The football was behind them. The football was up for grabs. It was inbounds. There were no red jerseys around the football, and the football went out of bounds. Again, it's just it's just not the way really, the season's going. Sometimes right, they the don't order. go your way. So it feels kind of a 
a cursed kind of thing. And with that all being said, there's still opportunities here. One of the things the coaching staff is trying to do is to keep the team on some sort of, I don't know if they would use the phrase even keel, but in some frame of mind that keeps them from this counterproductive, you know, in baseball or golf, we would say, don't squeeze the sawdust out of the bat. You know, your golf club, grabbing it harder is counterproductive. It makes it harder to execute a proper swing than to hold it hold it loosely. And that's what he's talking about here in terms of running and doing everything, whether it's playing your position on defense or uh, in the example that he uses, even running the football. Coach Tomey, who was my uh, head football coach at the University of Hawaii, who passed away this year, he, used to, he had a line that I, at first I didn't understand when I was a young freshman, and then as I got older, it, it started to stick with me. And the line he used to use was, you know, try less harder. I know, it's like, you know, what? But try less harder. I think they're getting out there and they, and they want to win so bad and they want to do well so bad that they jump, they this, they move. Uh, they make a mental mistake that is they've done it right a thousand times. You know, when we try something, they've done it right a bunch of times before we're going to take a chance during the game. And we have a lot of confidence that they're going to do it right in the game. And then they blank for a second. And I think that whole attitude, just try less harder, take a deep breath, relax. We had a couple of uh, situations where the running backs were, and I talked to them about it Sunday, where they were in the open field. And uh, I'm not going to say they tackled themselves, but nobody really tackled them. And, I'm, and, I, and I pointed it out to one young man on Sunday. I said, when you get this much grass, which you're probably not used to, this is, hey, you haven't seen this for a while. I said, you're in the secondary. You got one guy to beat. You got a blocker in front of you. As crazy as this sounds, even though you're moving full speed, just take a deep breath and just relax for a second. Just, just slow down a little bit because this guy's probably going to make a block for you. And then once this action happens in the next second or two, you're going to know exactly what to do. Your, your natural instincts will take over. So I think it goes back to what, I t- what Coach Tomey talked about. and Just try less harder because they all have the skills or they wouldn't be here. Adam Terry made a uh, great point on the broadcast Saturday that look at Tommy DeVito now. He actually is getting a little bit of pass protection, but mm-hmm. he's so used to not having that that the clock's going in his head. He's rushing or panicking. And uh, I think, Brian, and, and fans probably don't want to hear it like this, I just think in the end, the it, something's off this year, and it doesn't mean they can't you know find a way to, to fix it and whatever. But they're the di- the dials and knobs and and uh, whatever needs to be adjusted it just has not been the right mix. Well, I, I think it, it was last week. Dino Babers made me think of any given Sunday. Uh, this try less harder. You're familiar with the movie uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall? Not really. I, I mean, I know kind of who's in it, but so I, I can't quote it. Uh, Jason Siegel, the main character, Paul Rudd, is in the movie as like a, a stoned out surf instructor. Siegel shows up second time to him. I, I got to ride a wave before I leave. So he's lying on the board and like multiple times. Pop it. He's teaching him how to pop up and stand up. And his whole salute, do less. Do less. Like four times. Do less. The fourth time he just lies on the board. Well, well you got to do something. <laughs> right. So... Yeah, try less harder. I mean, but it's something though. Like if you're, a, I mean, he was talking about the running backs, but I think really again, it's all come back to the offensive line this year. Well, if you're a young offensive lineman, if you're a Bergeron, you're a Veterello, you're Dakota Davis, and they're starting for the first time. Well, you know the play. You've practiced the play a million times. You know the snap count. You know these things. But when it hasn't worked in the game, 
okay, well, I need to do this better. Well, what Dino's saying, no, you don't need to do it better. You need to do it how you can do it. They're trying to do something more than is necessary or they're capable of whatever. And, well, okay, if you're trying to go block this guy better than you did the last time, maybe you leave a half second before the snap count, even if you know exactly what it is. And it's stuff like that, and then it gets in your head, and it's a whole thing. And that's kind of the spin I guess they're trying to pull out of right now. And that's more a mental game, I think, what Dino's saying, than a physical game right now. you got to somehow slow it down internally before you can execute it on the field. But in all of sports, that is the easier said than done situation. The guys that can do that are the really good players in any sport. You can see why, as a team, they're having a hard time stopping bleeding. Because just when you feel like maybe you have some momentum, here's a penalty. You know, I use the expression, want to get away. The other day, Carlos Vettorello, he had three penalties in like four snaps. false starts or whatever it was. Yeah, and uh, not an awesome scenario. Uh, So what can be done about it? I think returning home, I think you play better at home. Uh, Certainly you, you hope to have the same type of home field advantage that you presume happens on the road. That makes it uh, difficult, and um, I don't know that I've got a lot of solutions, Brian. But uh, I, th- I think it's a matter of uh, continuing to to plug away here at, at what they're doing. And for the most part, I think the defense has been strong. Most teams don't have Cam Akers. No, he's really good. Yeah, um, it just feels like if one thing were to go right, almost not that it's going to fix the year. Not that there's a bowl game in the future. Not whatever. But my goodness, if just one th- if they came out on the opening series of a game and just this is the day it clicks and you march down the field and you score early or something, it just feels that is going to lift a cloud off these guys. And then you can, it doesn't make you a better team, but you're loose and you're into it. And it's just these things have not happened early in games. So it feels like all of these games is a battle uphill. And that's the, the try less harder thing. When you're fighting from behind, then you feel like you got to do something special. You go out. Even if you, okay, you, you win the toss, you get the ball, whatever, you go down, you, you kick a field goal, it's 3 nothing. Well, how many times did that happen last year? It wasn't first drive touchdowns, it was you move the ball a little bit. You got a, Andre Schmidt, that's why he won the Groza Award last year, because he kicked <laughs> right. so many field goals. You go down, you kick a 37-yard field goal, you do something, and it's just these things, which is not the most complicated things in their arsenal, they, they haven't clicked yet, and then it makes the later game stuff that much harder, because you're not playing from a position to strength. Last year, sh- Many more short fields and cashed in. Right. This year they're not getting the short fields and in some cases haven't cashed in. They had a drive start at the uh, Florida State 42 the other Schmitt's day. Schmidt's 50-yard field goal was what? It was right. a rough in the punter and right. gained two yards and then he knocked it through from 50. Right. And so getting nothing out of uh, those types of plays. So that uh, is where some of the frustration is born. And And trust me, nobody in the community is more frustrated or upset or burnt out or questioning than the people are in the football building. And that's why they put in uh, the hours, you know, from a coaching perspective, and certainly the commitment is there uh, from a player perspective to uh, try to make something happen, and they take on a BC team that, interesting the way uh, Coach Babers pointed out, and I think it'll be one of the questions to ask him later in the week when he have the opportunity. BC is always a physical game. He said the team that plays most physically wins the game in this series in, in his experience. And does that maybe help that, your boy on this game down just to beat the snot out of the guy across from you, the line of scrimmage, and and uh, can you line up and run the football? Will Syracuse attempt to, to do it that way? Those are all uh, things that will play themselves out on the weekend. That's how they won last year. I mean, they just knocked it down their throats. Dungey was running the ball. Moneal was running the ball. Or Dante Strickland had the best game of his career 
in uh, his last regular season game, and they just rammed it down their throat all game long. Now, in the games BC's beaten them, A.J. Dillon's had big days, and you go back to previous BC running backs. I mean, just insert BC running back du jour, and they, <laughs> they get loose on you sometimes. And it's not even getting loose. It's when BC gets rolling, they get rolling at eight yards of play, and they just tack it on, and then all of a sudden they're in the end zone. So maybe it is. Maybe just having a simple game plan where you know what they're doing. They're going to come. They're going to run block you, and if it works, they win the game. And if it doesn't, they don't. <laughs> and they go 7-5 and five every year doing the same exact thing, good, bad, or otherwise, find it compelling or not. That's a completely different conversation. But maybe that simplicity, maybe that does help out with the try less harder where, all right, you're going to try to block me. Okay. I don't have to think that you're going over here, that you're going over there. No. It's just head up and see what happens. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, tight formations, and uh, and that's typically I mean, how uh, this Boston offense doesn't look any different now than when Andre Williams was their running back, or whomever before, sure. or whoever. When I, when Dylan's in the NFL next year, whoever they got it running back next year, we're going to be talking about presumably the same exact thing. Yeah, and you think things have been uh, tough around this year? This year, how'd you like to have lost to Kansas? Yeah, whooped. Yeah, I think it was forty-eight twenty-four. I think it was the score early in the year there. So that's Boston College. It's Saturday. Again, uh, Orange Basketball home tomorrow against the Carlton. That is an 8 o'clock start. Keep in mind, for various reasons, ACC Network is new this year. The Dome is under construction. We're going through an unusual year. Here's a Tuesday night 8 o'clock exhibition game mm-hmm. tomorrow night. So uh, do adjust your schedule accordingly. That uh, that one will be a bit of a late start. If you want to join us by phone, you can. It's at four three seven seven six four four three one five four three seven seven six four four. Gets you on the program. We are in the booth. Brought to you by the Hoffman Sausage Company. Hoffman Taste Tells. This is ESPN Radio. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait. The other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Don't care no more. I don't care. We saw multiple chests go viral last night in the World Series, but we'll talk about the one that we can talk about, and that's the guy taking a baseball right off the chest with two beers in his hand. The home run early in the game, uh, Jordan Alvarez of the Astros hit it. Could, could, could you do that, or would you do that, Matt? Well, it's pretty interesting because it needs to be pointed out he got the ball. He so he's coming ball. down with... Two cans of domestic beer. We're talking about the tall boys there. And he walks down, and the ball is coming. He recognizes the ball, and he does what I believe in soccer is, uh, this is not PC, but is referred to as a booby trap. So he fitting. He kind of just chests up to the ball. Ball, he, you know, it's it's a picture uh Happy Gilmore at the start of uh, at hockey tryouts. He goes into the batting cage. He takes the ball. The ball drops to his feet. He sets down the beers. He still winds up with the ball and uh, his 15 minutes of fame. Hey, mister, you got to wear a helmet. Don't worry about it. Oh, yeah. You got to bring that <laughs> on, man. Oh, God, I love it. I assume. Oh, God, I hurt a little, but I'm all right. Oh my God, son, what the hell are you doing? 364 more days till next year's hockey trials. I got to toughen up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the uh, but the key thing is he he really hit for the cycle there. Wound up with no spillage plus the souvenir. I don't know what part of it's more impressive. My first thought is this guy must have played some soccer because that was he, he chested straight down. That could have deflected any which or way. Or was he a catcher in baseball dropping blocking on it? Uh, something like you that. Know? But it, whatever he did. 
He controlled the rebound. Didn't get loose from him. You got to keep the ball. Maybe he's a hockey goal. Keep it in the crease. <laughs> yep, get yep. allow a rebound. And then he gets the ball. Like it's a World Series home run. I don't care. It's by the other team. People are going for that baseball. And he barely. I mean, I think he had a little. They <laughs> they were replaying it later in the game, and uh, Joe Buck was thoroughly <laughs> analyzing, and his right hand appeared slightly sudsy. But think about that. This is playoff beer. His right hand was what? A little sudsy. You got a little uh, beer uh, foam. A little, oh, a little okay. spillage. Oh. A little. But, but I thought we were going to say about Joe, Joe Buck because I noticed it at the same time uh, Joe Buck did. So what happens now when that happens, right? It goes viral, there's a clip, there's a meme, there's a whatever. And so within a few minutes, he knows that people are talking about oh, yeah, it on the they, broadcast. They, they cut, him, cut back to him and his wife, I assume, and they, yeah. they were just staring at their phone. Well, so he must have said, and I was mentioned by Joe Buck, because as he's saying it, he mouths the word Joe Buck, and Joe Buck goes, I think he just said my name. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was an amazing play. I'd love to know the analytics, though. We get exit velocity, launch yes. angle. I want to know if velocity just wore it in the chest on that. You we know it's leaving out, at 100 right? miles yeah. an hour, but yeah, what was the terminal velocity? Yeah, what the... what was it going when it plunked him between the ribs? And uh, can we get a look at the that bruise and the laces on his chest today? Because he he just took it. Excellent question. George Springer's home run actually later in the game went right to him, or at least maybe a couple seats to him. Lost his hat on the play, so he gained the ball, but while reaching over for the for the uh, same for guy, same guy, lost the ball. He was reaching over the fence. Hat came off and uh, went down in between. There might have been like two fences that dropped down in between. So I don't know. So wait, we're we're t- the same positive. guy got two home run balls. Last I'm not night? sure if he came up with the ball, but it was right in his vicinity. He was reaching for it. I'm not sure if he ended up with it. Lost his hat in the process of of wow. at least going for that ball. Yeah, hit right to the left center where he was sitting in the front row. Uh, we'll move on here to uh, more baseball stuff from last night, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Lance Barkstead was the home plate umpire last night. Got a lot of heat from the Nationals dugout. I'm sure both sides were barking. And there was a lot of electronic strike zone talk on Twitter. Are you guys in favor of this? I wouldn't have a problem with it, I think, in the, in the long run. You know, obviously they're experimenting with it in the independent leagues and that type of thing. It's a little hokey, but everybody wants to get it right. I just think what we see on TV is not exactly what it is. There is some subjectivity to it. And uh, they even put yeah, the box up now that has like, the actual yeah. strike zone, so it makes it tougher. Like Mark Teixeira, he commented on it. He works for ESPN. Obviously, was uh, a Yankee for a while. He said, "I have a ton of respect for MLB umpires, but it's time for the automatic strike zone. Too many missed pitches, and the technology we see on TV shows all of them. We also help pace of well, will also help pace of play. Less arguing between pitches. I don't think there is a lot of arguing. It is serious right now. There's eye rolling, right at best." Well, Dave, Mar- Dave, uh, wait, Davey Martinez, he was talking a lot last night. He was doing a lot of barking. Uh, there was a second call that got them even more going. Kevin Long, the hitting coach, was getting into it. But you can't have these missed calls in such a big moment like the World Series, which is even what they were saying to Lance Barksdale. I'd say I, I think it'll – people, you're watching on TV, the, the box, the strike zone box, that's been a part of baseball broadcast for a long time now, that if you're watching at home – and the ump wasn't there, and it got called that way. I think you'd be really used to it. I think it, would, it might be a weirder. I wonder what the experience in the stadium would be of the delivery. Because <laughs> the, the umpire, I mean, the old days, the umpires made a really big show of it and the, the whole thing. But the literal fact of the umpire putting his right hand out, you know it's a strike. Or you, now do you got to stare at a board and the light blinks or doesn't, and the guy's <laughs> in or out. So I'd be interested, but I think it would be good to have consistency and yeah, I could see why some of the Nationals got angry there in the eighth inning when it looked like a pretty good chance went away. 
But I think you got to say, is it going to work? Is the replay of it going to work? Because you got to compare everything. In my mind, the best replay system out there is tennis. It pops up. Incredible. The ball's in. The ball's not in. And that's it. And there's no arguing it. And you can't argue it because that was the answer to the question. Right. And the crowd in three seconds gets to go, oh, and then it's, it ends or it doesn't. It's an electric moment in tennis when yeah. the crowd just starts going. Yeah, and if you could, if the strike zone thing could be sort of like that, I think I think you're onto something. Now we saw pass interference. Now you're allowed to challenge it in the NFL. What if you could just challenge a two, let's say two, just make it up in our balls and strike calls every game? What if that was a thing? Instead yeah, of just going I don't know. full. And then it's going to go back to, to what? To what we see now as the K-Zone on TV? Exactly, or yeah, it's going to go back, use. hey, umpire, were you were you dinged or not dinged? You know, uh, The way I understand they did it in the Atlantic League is they the umpire is buzzed, ball or strike, or hears a voice in his head or whatever, and does have the right to overrule it, which happened about three times a game. So the umpire is still making the signal? There's a guy there? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's definitely a guy there because then you got to place the plate and you have the whole administration of the baseballs and a lot of the stuff that goes on. So you still need a home plate umpire. Um, I think it's important. I, I think what happens with the automatic that would be a little unfortunate is it takes out the concept of framing. And even more important than that, because I don't care that much about framing, but that goes hand in hand with setting it up. Greg Maddox, he widened the plate because of the way he pitched, because of his command and, and pinpoint. Uh, Garrett Cole, the way these guys can paint the strike zone at 98 miles an hour, to me, is you know incredible uh, to, to see their skill. And, and uh, I would hate to see that go from the game, but I think it would just be transferred. There'd be a new way to game the system, and, and they talk about you know how the balls enter the strike zone. And you, know, you could bounce one now at the plate, but it could look... Yep. Look like a strike as far as the robot is concerned. So any way you look at it, there's going to be some drawbacks. So, so maybe that's how it is. It's kind of what you said, that instead of the teams getting an amount of challenges <laughs> for the strike zone, the umpire gets like five a game. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's sort of another of the naked gun thing where the umpires are arguing with one another. <laughs> All right, last one here. LSU football. They picked up a commit today, a verbal commitment from a 2022 wide receiver. His name is in the all-time Hall of Fame name list here. DeColdis Crawford. Middle name makes it even better to ever do it. DeColdis yeah, just... to ever do it Crawford. If he doesn't win the Heisman Trophy, he <laughs> is... Like he yeah, has, I just that's don't his... really know to, uh, to believe these or whether they're urban legends. You know, hey, did you hear about the brothers, uh, Lamangelo and Arangelo? I, I don't know. I, I need to I need to know more about what's going down there and if they've done it. Remember, there were there are some legitimately interesting names, obviously, that are made organically. That this one, I, I don't know. Well, you staying woke on it? I just I right now I'm just I don't know. Like, is he actually have a birth certificate printed that way? Uh, was it made up at some point along the line and changed or? I don't. I just don't know what to say about it. I, I just have a question. Okay, say football does not work out for the coldest. What's what's what do you got now? Right. Are you a, a meteorologist? Like yeah. where do you where do you take hey, this? Uh, I understand you're new to the company. You need to go down to uh, HR. The uh, coldest will take care of you there, and uh, he'll get you, get you onboarded. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want to know. Like the coldest ever do it. Uh, you're the you're uh, running three deep at wideout. <laughs> You're, you're lukewarm, <laughs> right? Right, right. Or uh, yeah, what is 
what is going to be? Is he going to go by DC when he gets out? If he's just you know someday has a real no, job, you can't change. If right, if someday if he doesn't live up, to, he like he has to be the number one overall pick, or he's come short of his expectations with yeah. that name. Well, like, he's the coldest to ever do it. It leaves out any variance. Yeah, you could be cool. Be, maybe he could go into the refrigeration business if it doesn't work out, like Bob. Hey, Vance. Great point. Yeah. The coldest to ever do it. Refrigeration. I love it. I mean, but I was made for right this. There. Yeah, Cole Crawford. <laughs> I'd buy a fridge roll with that. Yeah. If this uh, doesn't work at football, doesn't work out for him. Yeah, we'll we'll see about that. I mean, he already had Barkevius Mingo, so that's yeah, Barkevius. I, I'm thinking more the Q-tavious? more the names that are like words like scientific map. Yeah, X-ray hip. Yeah, wow, I've never seen that, that before one. your time. X-ray yeah. hip. That was a great name from the past. Meta world peace. Nah, that's, see, that's contrived. I mean, that's made up when he was a grown up. But I'm saying that you know, parents gave their names to people. Uh, Quick aside, last night, uh, was fortunate again to uh, told Brian to be at the uh, Upstate Lacrosse Foundation, uh, their Hall of Fame, and they inducted 10 people. It was a great gathering. Uh, John Timmel couldn't make it because he was at a uh, running the Marine Corps Marathon yesterday to raise money for one of his former players at Navy. But had John Tillman made it, it would have been the last three national championship coaches, and the last two were there, uh, Lars Tiffany and, and Andy Shea. Um, but they were you know, talking about a lot of stuff, and now I lost my train of thought. Weird name. Uh, X-ray hip. No. Scientific map. Those aren't going to jog my memory in any way, unfortunately. That's but just, uh, why did I bring that up? Uh, we'll figure that out. So we'll only take a break. There's I'll your tell you, There's I'll a tease. I'll tell you exactly why. We'll try to remember what we were talking about. <laughs> I think this Next. is the, lo- the long break, so I could figure out exactly why that might have made any sense. There's your promo, Tommy. We'll be back in a moment on ESPN Radio. In the Booth with Matt Park is brought to you by Hoffman Sausage Company. And welcome back. I did remember what I was talking about, and that is names and things that are tied together. So Kenny Nims was honored last night. His father, people know in the lacrosse community, Tom Nims. Tom Nims' middle name was Edward or something, started with an E. So his initials were T-E-N. He wore what number, Brian? Ten. Ten. That's the tease, folks. That was worth coming back, everybody. We'll be back at it uh, tomorrow at uh, 2.00. We'll talk a little basketball, the Orange and Carlton, tomorrow night at 8. And then proceed the rest of the week for football against BC. For Tommy and Brian, I'm Matt. Thanks for listening. Much more coming up throughout the day here on ESPN Radio.